All right. So, now, I, listen, I'm not so naive as to think that everybody had the same experience with their dad as I had with my dad. Uh, mine was pretty unique, but one thing that I definitely know is that when I was little, I remember thinking that my dad was invincible, okay? I remember thinking that my dad was like the greatest thing everything. Now, it didn't help that my dad told us that he was a professional in literally everything that was ever done, okay? Everything that was ever done. So when I was little, we'd say stuff like, We'd be dancing, and he goes, that's not how you dance. I dance. I was professional. Every time, I was professional is his famous saying. So be types of things like, you want to play soccer? I was professional. Come here, i show you. All right, Dan, you're professional. Need help with math? I was professional. We invented this stuff, right? And then he'd look at the math, and he'd tell you the answer, but then he could not tell you how to get there. But he was a professional and everything. One day he told me, I, 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 my mom was the one who taught us how to play baseball. She was an excellent softball player, and whether you guys know this or not, um, so baseball's not huge in Iraq. So uh, my dad, not the, the most skilled baseball player in the world, still let me know that when he was growing up, he was professional. So we went outside one day to play catch after I'd asked my mom to play catch. I'd play catch with you. I'm professional. We're tossing it back and forth, and I just let one go, and it's a perfect throw. I mean, right where you want, heading right at the face, right? So when the ball heads to your face, you're supposed to move your glove and catch it. Well, he didn't do that. What, what happened was literally right here on the bridge of his glasses, he caught the ball, and uh, his glasses broke, and he, <laughs> uh, he said things I can't say in church, and uh, he was no longer a professional. We never played baseball ever again together, but I could not wait. I could not wait to grow up and be like my dad and be a professional at everything. Um, for those of you who maybe didn't have a good relationship with your father, and uh, even if you didn't, maybe there was a time in your life when you thought, man, my dad is invincible. Like, there's always that my dad can beat up your dad thing. And even in, even in, I teach seventh graders now, and I still get that sometimes. Like, well, my dad's taller than you. And I'm like, I didn't say anything about height whatsoever. And I'd be like, hey, can you turn your paper? My dad's taller than you. Uh, okay. Congratulations for him. That's great. Right? But, but I, I just remember that being part of my life. That you, you're, Maybe you thought your dad was invincible. Maybe you grew up wanting to be like him. But can you imagine being like your dad from birth? Can you imagine being like your dad from birth? Jesus had a unique life in the fact that he always was, is, and always will be God. Now, that's stark contrast from what I told you last week, because last week we talked about how Jesus was 100% man. This week we're going to talk about how he is 100% man. God. The first reason I say that, that Jesus was God just like his papa, is because scripture says so. Scripture says so. If we look at John 1, 1 through 3, it tells us this. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. A little redundant there, but we're getting there. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Now, John was an excellent writer. He's a guy that could tell a story like nobody's business. And the first thing he does here is brilliant. He takes his Jewish readers straight back to Genesis, right? And we have to remember the Torah, their Bible, it begins with Genesis. He takes them straight back to Genesis to in the beginning. And so automatically he's taking their mindset from where they are now and placing them at the dawn of creation. And then he stakes his claim that the word was there from the beginning. And we see something unique here in Scripture that this word is capitalized as W, right? This is a... Uh, I'm not an English person. Proper pronoun? No. No, I'm not even going to say it. Uh, anyways, it was capitalized, meaning it was a person. Okay, there we go. Proper noun. I was, man, I was so close. Proper noun. Thank you very much. And so he makes his claim. He says his claim here that the word was there in the beginning. 
Now, what is a word but an, an expression? Right? What's a word but an expression? It's a show of something. And the word that we have, our Bibles, that is the way that God has chosen to express Himself and reveal Himself to us. We learn in Scripture that Jesus was the Word. So ergo this, Jesus was God's chosen vessel to reveal Himself to us. And in this passage, we see that Jesus was there in the beginning, from the very start. And that not just that, that everything that was made was made through Him. It even says, nothing that was made... Without him, nothing was made that has been made. God created the world through Jesus. God crowned him from the very get-go as an equal. So we see Jesus is God. Jesus also made his connection to God clear. He made it abundantly clear. In John 10, 30-38, he says that I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you are mere man, but because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them and said, Is it not written in your law that I have said you are gods? Little g, that's important. It'll be important here in a minute. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart? as his very own, and sent into the world. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's Son? Do you not believe me unless I do the works of my Father? But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So he and the Father are one. Okay? He and the Father are one. Now, in Jewish culture back in the day, this statement has extreme significance because it is telling people we are one in the same. Oneness was an was a, was a extremely important concept in their culture, right? Think about marriage. When two marry, the two become one. They act the same in, in the same accord. They live the same. They're, they're in harmony. So Jesus is taking his claim right here in Scripture. That I and the Father are one. We are the same. Jesus thinks the same as the Father. He has the Father's heart, mind, and soul. He acts like God. He loves like God. And he can do godly things. Here the Jews want to stone Jesus because he says, I am the Son of God. And then he throws their scripture back at him and he says, well, you can't throw scripture away. And isn't it in your scripture that it says that God God called those who, who scripture had been revealed to, the word had been revealed to, gods themselves. And yet here I am, not just a word, not just scripture coming to you, a man that God himself has set aside and sent to you to do his works, to to, to be his representation here on earth, and you want to stone me because of it. And then he hits him even a little lower where it really hurts. Hey, if you don't want to believe in me, that's one thing, but look at the works. Look at the works. Look at all that it is that I have done. Take all that into account and tell me that I am just a mere man. No, I and my Father are one. Believe in the works. Because the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. But the main reason, the main reason that I say that Jesus is God is because God says Jesus is God. God says Jesus is God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 9. Read this with me or follow along on the screen or just listen. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He had spoken to us by His Son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he had also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as, as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to, which the angel, for to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and servants flames of fire. And his servants flames of fire. Now look at verse 8 here. Look at verse 8. There's a tiny little hint. But, God's, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, and therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with all oil and joy. God talks about gods throughout Scripture in all sorts of ways and in all sorts of different areas, all throughout Scripture. But to my knowledge, and if you know of another instance, I want to know, because I searched and searched and searched for this this week. But to my knowledge, this is the only other time that God the Father mentions someone else as a God, and we see it with the capital G. We see it with the capital G. This is important, right? Who knew that Lowercase and uppercase letters would be so important in Scripture. But it's extremely important. Because God referred to gods all throughout the Old Testament. You worship other gods. You put other gods before me. Right? Always little g. Always little g. These gods, not equal to me. But here he talks about the Son in verse 8. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, big G. Big G. But your throne, O God, will last forever. Then he goes back to talking about himself in verse 9 and says that you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, two big G's, now talking about himself, not the Son, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. This is the only time that I know of in Scripture where we see God, capital G, and God, capital G, referring to two different beings. And this is direct quotations from God the Father. This is direct quotations from God the Father saying, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Talking to His Son. It seems to me like God has equated the Son as an equal. It seems to me like God is saying the Son is God as well. Because if He wasn't saying that, if He hadn't meant that, then we would see little g. We would. And this isn't one of those instances where in... in, in in translation, they decided well, we're going to put a big G here because we think he's talking about Jesus. If you go back to the original scripture, the original Greek, you're going to see the term for big God used in the passage. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's one of those things where you're just reading this, you miss it the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time like I did. Then all of a sudden you sit there and you're like, what's the big G doing there? Is God talking about himself? No, he's not talking about himself. So who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. It would seem to me that if God recognizes you as God, then you are God. This is one of those philosophical things, but it seems to me that if God 
Big G recognizes you as God, then you are God. This is one of those things that's sort of a mystery in Scripture that we have to wrestle with as Christians and as non-Christians we have to wrestle with, it seems like, even more. Because we know, we, as we talked about last week, Jesus was 100% man. But he's, it's a mystery in the fact that he's also 100% God. Last week we saw the limitations and the knowledge that Jesus had, and yet this week we see God the Father call him God. That's a big deal. But wait, there's more. See, like God, Jesus knew things that no ordinary man knew. We look at Matthew 16, 21. It said, From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus, aware of the future, knew of the future, knew what was going to take place. No other man understood it. In fact, even one time when he tried to reveal that to his disciples, Peter questioned him on that. Peter got upset and Peter said, you have to stop saying this. Then he got called Satan by God, the son, but still God. Like if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what does. If God ever called me Satan, I think I'd probably, I'd probably just die. Just like, All right, <laughs> game over. And then we see in Luke eleven seventeen 17, it says that Jesus knew their thoughts. This is about the Pharisees. And he said that any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. Right? So Jesus knew the thoughts that are literally on other people's minds. He could read minds. There's a Zoolander joke in there that I'm not going to go with. But. So Jesus knew things that no ordinary man could do. Jesus is also omnipresent. Jesus is also omnipresent, meaning that he can be everywhere at once. For instance, Matthew 18, 20, he said, where two or three gather in my name, then there am I with them. There am I with them. He said that while still on the earth. Right? Where two or three gather in my name, I am there with them. Jesus' presence is with us where we gather. That's omnipresence. In Matthew 28, 20, he says that, it's, it's the last thing he's given the decree and he's telling his disciples to go and teach the nations and make them disciples and bring them into the family. And, and he says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. To the very end of the age. I'm with you forever. I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm leaving. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not staying right here. I'm, I'm going to heaven now. But I'm with you forever and ever. That's omnipresence. Jesus was omnipotent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He could do anything. He could do anything. Think about this. In Matthew 8, Jesus heals a man from leprosy. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, to which Peter was like, thanks a lot, Jesus. Just kidding. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And he restores two demon-possessed men. That's Matthew chapter 8. Then in John 11, he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. His best friend had been dead for a number of days. He goes to visit him. Jesus weeps. He cries over his death, over the pain that it's caused those around him, even knowing he's about to raise him from the dead. And he says, hey, Lazarus, get up. Lazarus, Lazarus gets up. 
In Luke 7, he heals a centurion servant just because of the centurion's faith. They came and the centurion said, look, I have a servant. He's great. He does everything I say. And, and he's just a wonderful man and he needs you. He needs to be healed. He sent another servant. And then the centurion comes himself and he says, it's too late. Don't worry about it. Appreciate you. You know, but then he goes on and he also says, hey, I tell people what to do all day long and they do it. But I know that whatever you say will come to pass. And Jesus, impressed by his face, says, don't be troubled. Your servant is healed. And when he goes back, their servant is just fine. He also, in Luke 7, we talked about, brings the widow's son back from death. See, like God, Jesus was, Jesus will be, and is always. Jesus was, Jesus is, and he will be always. Because Jesus was perfectly human, like we talked about last week, his body was an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. His body was an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. But because Jesus was God, because Jesus was God, he was, over, he was able to overcome those sins, and he resurrected himself. Think about that. He resurrected himself to justify our standing with God the Father. He resurrected himself. He took on the sin of everyone in the entire world, died on a cross, allowed his body to be completely destroyed, and then three days later resurrected himself as Scripture said that he would. That's not God. I I don't know what is. And because Jesus is God, the things that he writes on earth, the things that he says will be, they come to pass. And they will be. So when Jesus says that my death on a cross covers your sins and makes me the bridge between you and the Father, that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Jesus being God is a phenomenal thing for us. It's the only time that I know of in any religion where God chose to be like his creation. Only time I know of. And he did all that because he loves us more than anything in the world. Jesus is so God that he limited his godliness. This is amazing stuff to me. I'm nerding out up here. I'm trying to hold it in. But like, this is one of those weeks where I'm reading scripture and as a Bible major, like everything's coming back and I'm reading Greek and Hebrew and doing things. And it's just, just one of those things where you get used to hearing the same thing over and over and over again in church. Every now and then the Bible just has a way of smacking you in the face and saying, look at this. This is one of those weeks. We serve a powerful God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for just the absolute mystery that you are. And yet even being the mystery that you are, you loved us enough to reveal enough of your character to us to show us 
God, that you love us more than anything in the absolute world. You sincerely want good things for us in life. And you chose to send your son and your son chose to come. And you made him equal and he has been equal. And the fact that he was God allowed him to resurrect himself and to say, these people are now justified with my father. So now this place that we prepare for them, they can come to. There are so many things, even as a pastor, even as a person who spent four years of their life just in the Bible daily, studying and reading and trying to come to grasp with all the mysteries within it. There's just so much that I honestly don't understand. But what I do understand is that you love us and that you're here with us and that you want what's best for us and that every step of the way, we are not alone. And that's an amazing thing. And that's what Jesus did. So God, I pray that you make us people who seek the heart of the Son and who seek the heart of the Father, knowing that that heart is the same. Help us to be the best that we can possibly be on a daily basis and to turn our lives over to you and to just be vessels to carry out your message and to carry out your desires and your wishes. Lord, I ask for all these things in your son's name. Amen. I, we're going to switch things up a little bit today. Jared is going to be over here to the left if you would like to pray with Jared. I'm going to be back here to where I used to be over on the right side. If you want to come pray or talk to me about anything, please do so. Okay? We talk about this every week, but whether you want to become a member of this church, first of all, we would be honored and so glad to have you. If, if you're not a Christian, if you say, I don't have the relationship with this awesome being named Jesus, and I just want to know more about that, I want to discuss it, I have questions, I have doubts, come talk to me. I don't know if I'll have all the answers, but I'll be honest with you. Maybe you know Jesus, maybe you have made Jesus your personal Savior, but for a long time now, you've been giving him seconds and just the leftovers, and you want to rededicate your life. You want to say, I'm putting Jesus first, and Jesus is going to stay there. Come talk to me about what that looks like as well. Otherwise, stand and worship the God and the Son who are God.